Well, I see it's now five after five in the morning, ten after five in the morning. So we have a long ways to go before 11 o'clock. Hope you're ready to sit here for a while. Yeah, that clock's a little off back there. We're going to... This means I got more time to spend here. <laughs> One person said amen. The rest of you groan, groan, especially Gerald up here. Please, no, please. I got plans. At least the Broncos aren't playing this afternoon. The hymn we sang, Come Thou Fount. Do not know what an Ebenezer is? They sang about an Ebenezer in that hymn. Who knows what an Ebenezer is? I'm, I know a couple of my kids, we've talked about this. An Ebenezer, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's like a, a place where we go to remember what God has done. In the Old Testament, they used to put these big stones up. And we've talked about this some when we've uh, done communion, which we're going to do here in the uh, next few weeks again. But we've talked about the stones they used to put up in the Old Testament. And as, the, as they would walk by these huge monoliths, these stones, they were called Ebenezers. And as you would walk by with your kids or with your grandkids or with family members or community members, you'd say, what's this stone here for? Well, let me tell you what God did. This stone is here to remind us what God did in this location. So an Ebenezer for us could be the baptism we had last week, where you can point back, oh, this is what God has done in someone's life. He has redeemed them back to himself. At some point in your life, you remember what God has done special for you. That's an Ebenezer. And maybe you put something on your, on your bulletin board. Maybe you have in your Bible, you have like a piece of paper or a bulletin or something that reminds you, man, this is a special event. And at Christmas time, we have Christmas ornaments from around the world in different cities and places we visited. And of course, we have the ornament commemorating that special day, June 20th, 1992, that first Christmas together. We have ones commemorating each of our kids when they were born. Those things remind us those are special. And Ebenezer is that, in a spiritual sense. It's those things that remind us. And I used to hate that hymn. I used to hate Come Thou Found. Every time we sang it, I was like, oh, it's the Ebenezer song. Really, does anybody know what an Ebenezer is? What is Ebenezer? What is Ebenezer? And finally one day, I'm going to go look it up. What is an Ebenezer? And now it's one of my favorite hymns. Because it reminds us what Christ has done for us. And it takes us to our knees again in thanks. We've been going through a series on the parables or Jesus' bedtime stories. Don't worry, I'm not going to read to you another bedtime story this morning. Fox and Socks, Are You My Mother? I was going to pull out a big one. Yes, Kyla, Are You My Mother? The kids all think it's cool. Dad's bringing their nighttime stories and reading them in church to all the adults. This morning's message is primarily aimed at believers. So this morning, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, I want you to know that you can just relax, sit back, enjoy the morning, and watch everyone else sweat. Watch everyone else wiggle in their seats. Last week we talked about the prodigal son. And we talked about how God was going out and reaching and, and excited about bringing people back into the fold. And this morning we're going to talk about the other son, the other prodigal son, who had issues of his own. And if you're like me growing up, had many of the same issues. 
See, I, from the time I was little, my mom and dad had me in church. From the time I was six or seven years old, I got saved in 1976. Is when I, as a seven-year-old little boy, bowed my knee to Jesus and asked him to become my Savior. And I don't know exactly when we started going to church, but I do know from that point on, at the very minimum, we were in church every Sunday. I was in Awanas. I was in children's programs. I went to youth group. And I even went to a Christian college because I'm just that spiritual. And I learned through the years how to categorize people into the us and the thems. Can you all relate? You learn how to put people in the categories of sinners, non-sinners, in a spiritual sense. We know everybody sins. Belief and unbelief. Uh, maybe you put you churched and unchurched, the moral and the immoral, those who are, believe in creation, those who believe in evolution. And all those who didn't believe with us and agree with us, we put in that other category, whatever it may be. You choose your category, whatever that is. Whatever those people who don't believe just like us, we put in that category over there. And it kind of puts a wall up between us and them. Because we view ourselves as got it all together. We're the righteous ones. We're the holy ones. We go to that Baptist church down the street. And the other son in this story, Luke chapter 15, had to deal with that same issue of the me versus him. Done but his brother. See, his older brother, his younger brother rather, came back. His older brother had stayed home. He'd stayed working in the fields. He'd been faithful in his family. He'd been doing the good work. And he outwardly seemed to be the good brother. He did all the right things. He stayed home. He took care of his dad. He took care of his mom. He took care, did his job. But what's very telling is when his brother comes back, Rather than rejoicing and saying, yes, my brother has returned. Let's go and let's be join, come join the party. He gets a little upset. So let's look together in Luke chapter 15 this morning. See, because in this passage this morning, Jesus is calling out the religious. He's calling out those who had been in church from the time they were seven who had gone to Awanas and gone to children's ministry, who had been involved and maybe even gone to rabbi school. And they learned. He was calling out the Pharisees. Those who would categorize themselves as the us and others as them. Luke chapter 15. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back, safe and sound. But he, the brother, was angry and refused to go in. See, rather than rejoicing because somebody came to know Christ, because his brother had come back, 
Rather than rejoicing that somebody had gotten his heart right and returned into the right relationship with the Father again, rather than rejoicing, he chose to, to maintain that selfish heart. Of, But I've been here. And we're going to read in a minute. He says, but I've been here. What's, what's up with him just running out and racing down to my brother? Doesn't he know that this, he's the Lord of the manor? He has to have this dignified approach. He's undignifying himself, running down the street, running down the road to his, my brother. What is his problem? Talking about his dad. The selfishness comes out in those first few words. See, culturally, it was the older brother's job to arrange that healing. If he'd been really doing his job, he would have gone out, grabbed his younger brother by the scruff of the neck, drug him home, says, you get on your knees and you ask forgiveness of your father, culturally. But the, other, the younger brother, while he was in the midst of feeding all those pigs in this most unclean pig pen of his, wishing he could even eat the food of the pigs, God used that in his life to humble him, to recognize that what he had back home in the father's house was so much better. So he comes home, as we talked about last week, and begged for forgiveness from his father. The younger son, the older son, brother, rather missed out. The Pharisees, those steeped in religiosity, were so caught up in themselves. That selfish attitude of, I'm following every jot and tittle of the law. I'm doing everything required to please God. I'm doing all that is required that they missed out the joy of bringing people back to the Father. Bringing people back into a right relationship with Him. And the Son was a perfect picture of those Pharisees. The selfishness in His heart. Secondly, look at verse 28. It says, the father sought him out. Verse 28 says, and his father came out of the house and entreated him to come back in. The father goes out. The father recognizes that the son is outside angry. The son's upset. The son's frustrated. And yet he goes out anyway and entreats the son to come back in. Looking to renew and restore that relationship. The son had not left. The son had stayed home. The son had been in church every Sunday. But had failed to recognize in his own life where he'd fallen short of the pattern of God, of God's perfect standard. So the father reaches out to him and says, son, come back in. He says he entreats him. He doesn't just go out and say, come on, son. Like when I, sometimes when my girls are outside playing, riding their bikes at night, I'm like, Anissa, come inside. Girls, come inside. Time to eat. Everybody come in. Everybody time come in the time to eat. I wasn't speaking in tongues, by the way. I was Korean. Come inside. Time to eat. Time to go to bed. Time to get your bath. Time to whatever. 
This is God going up to the, this is the Father going to the Son and entreating him. Well, saying, Please come inside. What's wrong? What, can, I, can I help you? Can I, is there a problem? How, how can we make this right? He's entreating him and begging him almost to come inside. To come and join him in the party. To come and join the servants. To come and join all those that are, the party's already started. The calf is half eaten. The whole city's coming around. All that's left is a, a tongue. And in Asia, they're going, awesome. All that's left is the cow brains. It's good stuff. He entreats his son, please come back inside. Join us. See, the father longs for their relationship with his brothers, with his sons rather. Inequality. He doesn't view one as more righteous or holy than the other because his desire is that all men come back to him. His desire that all men bow his knee before him, our Heavenly Father. His desire is that all men willingly come back to the Father and acknowledge, you are holy God. I need that relationship with you. I can't get through this life on my own, in my own strength and in my own power. I need you, God. He's drawing all men back to himself and treating them, not forcing. You don't see God twisting the arm of, this, of his older brother, of the older son. You see him entreating him and saying, come on back, come on back, come on back. It's like driving a truck, mom back, mom back, mom back. God's saying, come back to me. And you've left emotionally. You didn't leave physically like your younger, bro- younger brother, but you've left me emotionally. What attitude of ours is keeping us from experiencing all that God has for us? See, what attitude? This, the, the younger brother recognized his error. He recognized where he'd gone wrong. His was a physical action. It was also an emotional and mental rejection of his father. Whereas the older, the older brother stayed home. He looked good, smelled good. He went to all the right studies. He went to all the right Bible studies. He was involved in choir. He was involved in all, all these different things. He kept his Bible on his table at work, on his desk at work. He had M&Ms on there, but all the M&Ms had John 3.16 written on the M&Ms instead of other something else. And he would pass out those M&Ms to people. He was banner man in all the Broncos games. You know what the banner man is? It's the guy who stands up there with John 3.16 at the end zone. So whenever they kick the field goal, you see John 3.16. He did all the right things, and yet his self-righteousness kept him from enjoying that true, joyful relationship with God. What attitude is it of ours that's keeping us from experiencing everything that God has for us? See, it's a heart issue. Attitudes start in our hearts. Those attitudes don't just develop themselves in our brains. If you're like my brain, my little pea brain can't think through that many things. But they develop themselves in our hearts and move to our brains, and then they come out, those attitudes do. They develop themselves. Thirdly, the brother voices his own accomplishments and self-righteousness. Look at verse 29. 
says, but he answered the father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. Listen to the words he says, but this son of yours. He doesn't even acknowledge him as a brother. He doesn't acknowledge him and doesn't come in to rejoice because his brother is back again. He says, this son of yours, not this brother of mine, has returned. And you didn't even give me a calf. You didn't even give me a goat. (laughs) I'm a little jealous. See, whereas the younger brother was in a physical pig pig pen when he he left home, the older brother was steeped in an emotional pig pen. Just as stinky, just as ugly, just as nasty as his younger brother. But some ways harder to get out of, isn't it? Some ways it's harder to get out of that emotional pig pen where we find ourselves. When you find yourself locked and you, you judge your holiness, you judge your righteousness, you judge who you are based on what you've done, rather than what Christ has done for us, it's hard to get out of that pig pen. See, I rejoice because I know I'm not perfect. <laughs> Ask my kids. They know I'm not perfect. Y'all sit out there every Sunday morning. You know I'm not perfect. Last week, tripping up on stage. You know I'm not perfect. And it's when you recognize that I can't do enough to please God. I have to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, what he did for me on the cross. Then I'm justified before God. Then I am justified before our Father. Then I can say, my sins are not held against me because of what Christ did for me. It's not about how many times I show up here on Sunday morning. It's not about how many times, how many Bible studies I go to. It's not about how many different ministries I'm involved with or how long I've worked with VBS over the years or whatever. That's about, am I counting what Christ did to my benefit? Not what have I done. And that's where the Pharisees found themselves in a trap. See, the Pharisees, through their whole lives, they're trying to justify themselves by their actions to God. They would say, I followed all the law, Lord. I have, I have done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've carried out all these commandments, and I'm given a tenth of everything I have, and I've done this, and... God would say, but have you, where's your pride? Have you gone above and beyond? Have you looked upon the alien in your midst with empathy and brought them in? Have you done, have you treated your fellow man as I would treat them? Yes, you've loved me, but have you loved me with your, all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? And the Pharisees would have to admit, yeah, no. I would have left that Samaritan on the road. I would have left that Samaritan 
I would have been the one who crossed around the other side of the road and left him there in his pain, his suffering. See, what is it in our lives do we try to justify before God? It's easy to look at the younger brother and see that the sins of passion kept him out of the Father's presence. But it's hard to see the sins of our attitude run rampant within us. Jealousy, pride, covetousness, judgmentalism. It's hard to see those things within ourselves and even to admit them to ourselves. We look at our lives and say, I am justified because I've done X, Y, Z. But if we truly were to come before God, say, God, what is it in my life that's keeping me from having this joyous, awesome, wonderful relationship with you that I want to have? What is it that's keeping me from that? God would say, look within your mind. Look within the attitudes there. Your jealousy, your pride, your covetousness, your judgmentalism, your materialism. Look in the mirror and ask God to reveal. And then you look at the end of the passage here, verse 31. See how the father voices his joy when his son, about his first son. He says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. He is alive. He was lost. And he is found. The father is so excited that that the one son came back. And he longs for the older brother to come into the house and to join in in the party, to join in renewing that relationship again. And he tells me, he says, Son, you were never out of my presence. You never, you were never away from me. And all that I have is yours. See, that's so true in our own lives as well. We are never out of God's presence. Let me say that again, because I want to sink in. You are never out of God's presence. He is always with you. On your 55th anniversary, down to your first anniversary. Your first child is born to your last child is born. He's there from the beginning of time when you were first born to the time when you meet him face to face on the other side of the grave. You are never out of God's presence. We can rejoice at that. That means when you're joyful, he's there rejoicing with you. When you're sad, he's there to encourage you and lift you up. When you're frustrated and you're angry, he's there as the comforting arm. Saying, come back. Come back to me. Call upon me. Let me be that calming force in your life. When you're up on the mountains all by yourself, he's there. When you're, in, you're stuck in traffic, in Denver traffic, going to work to and from, he's there. Watching your attitude on the road. Hello. <laughs> he's there when you're dealing with people who are frustrated or angry. In South Korea, we used to have this one lady at our church. Her name was Miss Kim. Bless Miss Kim. She was an older lady, had a really rough life. She was very difficult to be around. She would come and sit in church, and afterwards she would just complain and complain and complain. 
She would cuss up a storm in church. We finally had to start telling her, Miss Kim, please write down your prayer requests and we will make them for you because we can't trust what you're going to say in church. (laughs) It was pretty bad. But when we first got there in 93, the time we left there in 2004, we saw this change in her life where God had been working on her throughout her whole life. Where he had been slowly working in her life. Now, I'm not saying she was perfect when we left. I'm not saying that I enjoy being around her. Far from it. But God put her in our lives to teach us some lessons about his grace and his mercy and how God can take anybody and redeem them. How God can take anybody and move them along the path of holiness, the path of righteousness. She didn't have our same cultural background. She didn't have the same lifestyle. She was hard to be around. You all have anybody like that? People that just grate on you and are hard to be around. I'm not talking about your spouse. Stop elbowing your spouse. I'm not talking about your teenagers. There are some people that are as hard to be around. But God says, even with those people, even in the midst of being around those people who are grating on you and driving you batty, God says, I'm there with you, helping you persevere, helping you get through those tough times with those tough people. He also says, you've had my resources from the very beginning. Not only have you been, never been out of my presence, you've never been without my resources. We serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We have access to everything. We have access to God who raised himself from the grave. And the Bible says that that same power that raised Jesus from the grave is within us. That same power that is there that raised him from the grave is within us. So that we no longer have to fight this sin battle, this emotional battle, this attitude battle by ourselves. God is right there with us fighting that battle with us. God is right there with us, reminding us. God is right there with us, encouraging us. He is right there with us. And His power and His resources are right there for us to reach out and grab. Like an unlimited debit card or the Black American Express. You know, the one that has like an unlimited balance you just charge it, charge it, charge it. And none of us will probably ever have that. That's God's his resources available to us. See, God says, as the Father said here, your brother was dead and is alive. He's about restoring people back into fellowship with himself. He's about restoring people back into a right relationship with himself. It doesn't matter if they're in a physical pig pen or an emotional one. He wants to restore us back to himself. What attitude in your head is keeping you from that right relationship with him? What action in your life 
is keeping you from that right relationship with him? What about you and about me? This is a mirror image, a mirror question here. Is keeping you from that relationship that God wants to have with you. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with him. I'm saying what's keeping you from that relationship that he desires to have with you? See, it starts in here. It's easy to look at the younger brother and go, he went off and he's in the pig pen. It's harder to look in here, isn't it? It's harder to look at our own hearts and ask the tough question. See, if we are His, we need to be about His mission. If we are His, we need to be about His mission. And what's His mission? Worshiping Him and making disciples who worship Him. Can we agree on that? Our goal, His mission for us, is that we worship Him in spirit and in truth, and that we make disciples who worship Him. That's what we should be about. That's our goal. And if we really have that relationship with God that He wants us to have, that will be our passion. That will be our passion each and every day. You can be worshiping God as you're driving down the road. You can be worshiping God when you're up in the mountains. You can be worshiping God out on the golf course. You can be worshiping God wherever you are. And you're always looking for those opportunities, those divine appointments. When God's going to place somebody in your life that you can move into a little closer relationship with him. Last, one quick story, then I'll close. This past week, I was finishing up at King Super's early in the morning, and I just wanted to get out of there. I had a soccer game I had to go be at. I didn't want to hang around there. I wanted to go to my car and be gone and go watch my little girl play soccer. As I'm getting ready to walk out of the store, God says, why don't you go to Starbucks and get a drink? Well, now you know I'm all for Starbucks, right? I'm all for coffee anytime. Prefer another one other than Starbucks, but if it's there, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm like, God, I don't want to stop. I, just, I want to go. I want to go watch Hanisa play soccer. God says, no, just go. Look, you're passing right by. Go over there and get you something. So I go over there, get, a, get my little tall $2 coffee. Sit down, waiting for him to make it, because it always takes him a long time. Why? I don't know. It's just a black coffee. While I'm sitting there waiting, taking this guy a long time to make my little black coffee, somebody else is sitting, table away. And he says, do you know where Walmart or Home Depot is? Well, I'm going to pull up my phone and start looking it up. And, oh, there's a Walmart down the street over there and Home Depot down the street over there. And He's from Chicago, didn't know his way around. I really don't have time for this, God. <laughs> I really don't have time to talk to somebody this morning. Coffee's up? Coffee's up. Okay, I'm getting my sugar. I look over and he's got a piece of paper with Chinese written on it. Hello. Okay, God. Sir, is that Chinese? <laughs> Why, yes, it is. Do you know Chinese? Well, I can't read that, but I can speak it. And a conversation ensues. 45 minutes later, an hour later, I finally walk out. We had a conversation. I don't know what, what, what 
why God had us have a conversation there. We weren't being quiet. There were other people there in the Starbucks area who were listening. I was one guy is on his computer and he's like, I'm like, you got a crick in that neck over there, sir, or what? And he's like, our conversation went from Islam to North Korea to everything in between and faith and God's power in his life. And he, this guy says, I just don't, I think that choosing God is like choosing to cut off your finger or cut off your toe. There's no difference. I said, what? What are you saying? To choose God or choose, choose to not to follow God is like cutting off one or the other. I said, are you serious to me? Following God is like getting to go have steak and prime rib at Outback every night or not, whatever, choose your favorite restaurant. It's getting to go eat that, that massive juicy hamburger or whatever your favorite meal is. For Hanisa, be a big bowl of pasta with shrimp piled on top. I mean, for me, following God is getting to go and eat that every single day and enjoying it and having the cake afterwards and the ice cream and the banana split and all that good stuff and lots of chocolate. God had chocolate. Maybe even chocolate on top of my steak. I don't know. I said, to me, following God is this party. It's this joyous time where I get to enjoy what the best of life. And he says, you really think that? I said, oh, yes, I love worshiping God. I love following God. I love having reading through his word. I love, I'm passionate about this book. I'm passionate about my relationship with him. I'm passionate about my Lord. He's like, you're weird. I said, yeah, I know. My kids tell me that all the time. But see, the point is, if we are about the, about the purpose of worshiping God, and we are supposed to be about the purpose of making disciples who worship God, to look for those divine appointments around us each and every day, in our neighborhoods, at work, on the road, wherever we are, and you're looking for those appointments so you can move somebody in their relationship with God into a stronger relationship with Him. That's what we're to be about. We're to be true in our worship. That means not playing games. You come here not just for show, but you come here to worship the true God of this universe. And you come here and you worship in spirit and in truth, not because you want to look good, because, oh, somebody's watching me leave my house and they got my big old Bible as I'm leaving the house and getting into the car, and they're watching. Yes, they may be watching, but what's your motivation for coming? What's your motivation? Secondly, embrace God, the relationship with God that he's seeking. He is seeking you. Don't fight what he's trying to do within you. Understand that God is working in your life. We, you are, none of us are where we need to be in, in Christ. None of us are where we need to be in our spiritual walk. God is doing a work in our lives. And let's not fight him. Let's don't fight that, what he's trying to do. Avoid the emotional pig pen. Watch our attitudes. Let's be selfless. It's not about us, our preferences, our desires. The goal is to worship and share the gospel. The goal is worship and share the gospel. And lastly, let's enjoy God. <laughs> let's enjoy God. Enjoy that steak. Enjoy God. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his word. He's got so much out there for us. He wants us to take part in. And we can either join him in that, we can enjoy his presence, 
We can be like the Pharisees who just, I've got to check off the boxes, got to check off the boxes, got to check off the boxes. And you get steeped in that, trying to check off the boxes. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God is doing in your life. But I hope that through this parable, that we'll all leave here today having thought again about our own emotional pig pens and what is it in our lives that needs to change. What thought process in our lives needs to be adjusted to bring us back into that relationship with God. Let's have a moment. Just have your, bow your heads and close your eyes for a few moments as Drew comes up to lead us in our final song. I don't want you to just spend some time praying this morning. Just you and God. No one's looking around. No one's moving. Just you and God and these four walls. And you ask God to reveal to you what it is in your life that needs to change. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Hearts and minds that are open, yearning for that relationship with you. Longing to be restored. Lord, I want to enjoy my life with you. I want to enjoy your presence every single day. I want to know what it means to follow you. And I ask, Lord God, this morning that you would remove any barrier within me, within this church, within the people of this church. Remove any barrier that's preventing us from following you as we need to be. Lord, we long to be the people of God that you want us to be. We long for your presence in our lives. Free us from our pig pens, be they physical, mental, emotional. Show us the door, show us the open gate, and lead us out. Lead us out of those pig pens this morning, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a final song this morning. I lean not on my own.